This week on the podcast, we are thrilled to have the executive director, Quincy Larson of freecodecamp.org. Quincy, how's it going? Hey, it's going great. How are you, George? I'm doing well today. I was thrilled when I reached out uh, because, frankly, a lot of the staff at Whole Whale end up on Free Code Camp uh, for for uh, learning and going uh, going up the curve on on various tech like HTML, JavaScript, what have you. And so I was wondering, just from the start, um, I feel like the name says a lot, but in your words, Quincy, what uh, what is it that uh, Free Code Camp does? Sure. So we help people around the world learn to code for free. We have a giant curriculum that you can do end to end or you can skip around in it, but it'll basically bring you up to speed with what kind of skills you would need if you wanted to go get a job as a developer or potentially create like a technology focused NGO or startup. I feel like that was so simple for how actually complex um, I feel like this platform is. And just like top top line stats here, you know, you have um, here located like 6,000 plus tutorials. And uh, according to your site, since 2014, more than 40,000 graduates have gotten jobs at tech companies. I mean, that's incredible. Thanks. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just we've been working really hard pretty steadily for the past seven years and uh, just just kind of grinding away. But yeah, we've, we've gotten plenty of lucky breaks along the way. It's just uh, like every day, just, just putting in forth a little bit of uh, forward momentum on things. I love the sort of seven year overnight successes and people like, oh, you like popped up everywhere. For context, I, I feel like when you're sitting in a nonprofit, ecosystem, it can be hard to understand certain competitive environments, but you were up against some of the best, well-funded startups in the game. You know, you're talking about like Code Academy or uh, Coursera. Um, How have you sort of been able to fight in that competitive ecosystem as a nonprofit going up against, you know, multi-million, I think some are billion dollar competitors here? Yeah, well, I don't look at them as competitors. I look at them as allies in the effort to help people get technology skills. We're fortunate to be in a space that's like expanding really rapidly. I mean, technology skills are becoming more and more valuable every day uh, to, without going off on a long sermon, you know, used to be that you didn't need to know how to read if you were like a farmer out in the middle of uh middle America, for example. And at some point it just became understood that yes, even though you're a farmer, you should know how to read. And same thing with like drawing, driving a car, for example. And then in the nineties, people needed to learn how to use Microsoft Office. And now in the 2020s, people need to learn how to use, you know, basic web development tools, basic data analysis tools, um, low code, no code tools. And of course, uh, just understanding conceptually how web servers work, how mobile apps work, those kinds of things, privacy, security. Uh, So there's a tremendous amount to be taught. So the way I look at, uh, you know, like Udacity, uh, Codecademy, Treehouse, those were some of the, those are some of the bigger organizations in the space. Uh, Even like Harvard has CS50. So there are a lot of university programs is like, hey, we want to, ally ourselves with you all. Uh, we're, we're a tiny nonprofit. Like we don't have the resource to compete with anybody really. Uh, rather we'd re- we'd like to build alliances and see if we can help your mission and if we can f- find ways to co- cooperate. So that's, that's been our strategy. How has that partnership been going? Cause sometimes I feel like it's uh, sure we're all frenemies here, but at a certain point, um, you know, has it has it worked to, to grow it, or is it that you simply have a, a massive audience and you can be generous with that audience, just like to to cut directly to it, um, or has it been key to your growth in that you have partnerships with some of these folks? Yeah, like uh, I, I can go into a little details on some of the partnerships. Like we've worked with, like of course, like big software companies. We've accepted grants from them to create courses and publish those courses on our YouTube channel. Uh, and also just created like textual tutorials on a lot of topics. Um, we've worked with some of the other course creators as well. Uh, if you look at our YouTube channel, for example, you'll see 
just a, there have been more than a hundred different uh, kind of independent programming content creators who've, who've uh, done kind of crossovers with us and things like that. So I think this philosophy, it's not just a matter of us being like being extremely lucky and, and being generous, but I genuinely do believe that, you know, if, if you approach things, not from an adversarial standpoint, but instead of like how you can leverage what's already out there to help your own learners better. Uh, for example, with, with uh, Treehouse, which is a really awesome, I mean, they're for profit, but a lot of the things they do, I think are kind of spiritually similar to what uh, nonprofits do. Uh, they have a lot of programs focus on, uh, you know, uh, equality, diversity, inclusion, and um, trying to get people uh, in, into jobs. And uh, they've got like this huge catalog of courses, and we were able to work with them to take some of those courses and and cast them out to a wider audience uh, for free through through our YouTube channel. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> that's a long answer, but but I I really do. I don't, I think competition is overrated and it's, it, there's, I think it's something that humans kind of intrinsically like fixate on just because like the nature of like sports, the nature of war, all these things, there's like a winner and there's a loser, but in the real world, often there are many winners and uh, there's like an equilibrium where many organizations can be in play and some of them specialize on some, in some areas and some of them specialize in other areas. So I don't, I don't see education as like a winner takes all type field. I, I really do believe that there can be many, many winners, just like there are 5,000 universities in the United States. There's not just like one university that's kind of like a conglomerate, whatever the word is, uh, absorb all the other um, universities, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that abundance mindset is really key when you are approaching uh, partners in, uh, in dealing in good faith. Uh, I want to move into like the education component because I think that in large part is the secret of your success and something I want our listeners to kind of take away because there's a brilliance in the way that it seems like you build giant pillar content. Like you create um, these pieces that are modular, mind you, but they're sequential, they're carefully broken down rather than one-off lesson on Python and a one-off lesson on HTML. And we have this article over here. This seems wildly methodical and modular and like just planned out. Like you're just putting brick by brick by brick into, into these courses. Can you maybe unpack how you approached it? Um, these pieces that are modular, mind you, but they're sequential, they're carefully broken down rather than one-off lesson on Python and a one-off lesson on HTML. And we have this article over here. This seems wildly methodical and modular and like just planned out. Like you're just putting brick by brick by brick into, into these courses. Can you maybe unpack how you approached it? You know, how much of this was like planned from day one? You're like, someday I shall have over 6,000 resources perfectly organized. Yeah, so I, I break everything down into curricular and then extracurricular. So Free Code Camp, we have a core curriculum that we that most that's what most people think of when they think of freecodecamp.org. They think of our linear curriculum and it's it's non-branching. It, it's like I liken it to like universities from like the 1800s before the invention of majors and electives and all these other things. Back when like Basically, everybody learned the exact same thing, and it was just the stuff they needed to know. And if you look at like medical school and law school, uh, to some extent, like business school, it's still like this, right? There, there may be like you, you become a generalist in school, and then you specialize on the job through like residency or through some sort of uh, you know associate uh, period. Um, and I, I think that's how like developer education should be. Um, so we have this linear curriculum that if you were to literally go through all of it and uh, not stop to get a job, like most people stop at some point, get a job, and then they'll come back and learn even more. And then they'll go get a better job or they'll get a promotion within their current job. It's designed that you can do like lifelong learning over the course of like years and years and still have plenty of stuff that you haven't learned yet. That, that is right there waiting for you when you get time to learn. Uh, and that is, uh, you know, engineered, that way, uh, my original vision for Free Code Camp was that it would be kind of uh, just like a, a single progression of skills and that we'd front load the most useful skills where the jobs were most bountiful, which is web development. 
And then you get more into, you know, skills like uh, DevOps type skills. And eventually you get into machine learning and data science skills if you stuck with it. And that mirrors a lot of like what the makeup of the industry looks like in the sense that like, usually you've got your undergraduates, like university grads or people that went to like vocational school, they're doing web development. And then you've got your graduate students doing a lot of the, the um, you know, DevOps and data science stuff. And then you've, you've got your like PhDs who uh, lead like data science uh, for like an entire organization or something like you can go really, really deep. I mean, uh, you could easily be like a university professor working at Stanford. Uh, like some of these people who created the original MOOCs, massive open online courses fit this category. They've worked in private industry building these, uh, you know, self-driving car systems or, um, you know, creating systems that, that did uh, all kinds of like um, kind of filtering for like search engines and things like that. And, you know, they, they can create these kind of master classes in these subjects. We wanted to be able to have a linear progression that took people to where they could actually get to that. Like there's this big, what we call desert of despair uh, where you start off and there are tons of really good introductory resources and then those dry up and you're left with extremely advanced like academic papers and, and conference talks and things like that that are much harder to, to grok. So Free Code Camp kind of represents like a bridge from the beginner across that desert of despair into the more advanced resources. And then we have our extracurricular learning resources, uh, which, you know, more than a thousand courses on YouTube, uh, more than, I think it's like 750 tutorials. We haven't updated the number on our search engine, but it, we published like 10 or 20 new so many pieces here and threads on um sort of content creation i want to i want to put a pin in that i want to come back to the chasm that that is here putting a pin parking that how on earth do you create so much content quality content that's in line with your standards and guides like it, you have an engine running behind there that is churning out these pieces obviously you know your site is an lms in and of itself and you're pulling in uh, and leveraging very intelligently, mind you. Notice that little YouTube, it's not just hidden video on your site that's not search indexed, like you're out there casting the net. Come back to what is your process and engine and staff creating this content? Like what what's behind this? Yeah. Yeah, so a vast majority of our learning resources are created by volunteers, um, people from industry, people from academia who want to help people uh, learn and are kind enough to share their learning resources with us. A lot of it's created like kind of exclusively for free code camp. And some of it is uh, shared, like, for example, like a university, like Harvard shared their CS 50 computer science 50 course. It's the most popular computer science course on the planet. And they shared both like their main curriculum and their game de development uh, curriculum. And we published those. And so, that, that's a pretty good example of like when you've got David Malin from Harvard, uh, who is incredibly insightful in the way he teaches, like he's taught computer science for so long, you could argue that he's like a rock star teacher if there is one, right? Um, so, I mean, that does a lot of the work for us. We just talked to David Malin and we're like, hey, could we cross publish this? And then also like a lot of times, uh, university professors will publish their work as like Creative Commons and we can reach out to them and like, hey, this is fantastic. Could we publish this on the FreeCodeCamp channel? So uh, we also get a lot of uh, people who are gradually building up like their presence on YouTube. Uh, a lot of experienced classroom teachers and also just practitioners from the field who uh, want to teach these programming concepts. And so we'll kind of anthologize some of their courses and publish those. And then as for, far as the uh, text-based tutorials, uh, what I do is I work closely with the editorial team and I'm on the editorial team of Free Code Camp. And we, uh, we identify people who are really good at teaching uh, through text. Um, and uh, we, I meet with them and I'm like, hey, if you're interested in, in reaching a lot of people and helping a lot of people, we can help you. And uh, then I help figure out what um, articles we should write and I, I coordinate with them on topics and headlines. And I personally have written, I think like four or 500 tutorials. Um, and <laughs> Bo has written like several hundred and he, he runs our YouTube channel and Abby runs like the main editorial team. 
so so it's just it's just a small handful of people. Like the actual free code camp teams, less than twenty people. Um, we haven't mentioned our budget yet, but it's like less, like twenty nineteen was four hundred ninety eight thousand dollars. So we're operating on like a very lean budget, and as a result, a lot of people are working part time or. Uh, and, and most of the work is being done. Yeah, that's wild. Like volunteers. I think just to remind people that all of that being done for, you know, less than half a million is um, is incredible. And I feel like I want, there's somebody listening right now who's trying to get their first 10 volunteers to show up. And it's it's kind of, I think sometimes like, frustrating me like yeah of course you can go get the rock star of harvard to go teach this course because you have the flywheel running talk to me about how you got the first 10 volunteers like what was the sales pitch you didn't have what is it how many people like over a million a month or something yeah. through the system like just in terms of traffic what is the yeah we get yeah. half a million visits. I mean, that's a real day. that's real traffic that's real audience and then, and then and i can see when you go to something hey would you like to reach half a million per day. And you're like, yes, please. I want to have an impact. Well, here you go. Talk to me about the first 10 volunteers and and what that looked like. Yeah. So, uh, man, it was pretty wild because I was like staying up like, I was basically working like 120 hours a week, maybe uh, during the early days. So I I came from like San Francisco startup culture and, and you just really, you know, threw yourself into the gears, so to speak. I had built a lot of projects. This is going to be a little autobiographical. I hope you will indulge me. Um, but I, I had uh, worked as a software engineer. I, my background was in teaching. I was a school director and a, a classroom teacher until I was uh, about 31 years old. And that's when I decided I wanted to learn to code. I just automated some aspects of our school to, to free the teachers up so that they could work more closely with the students and not have to spend as much time at their desks. Um, and that worked really well. And I was amazed at how much I could accomplish just some guy in a suit who didn't know anything about technology, like writing some very basic scripts, uh, Googling around and stuff. And uh, so I, I eventually properly learned how to do software engineering. I just spent like seven months going to hackathons and, and using free online resources, lots of free textbooks and things like that, hanging out at the library. Um, and I was able to get a job as a software engineer. And then so I, I kind of went through that process myself in that autobiographical, like that, that informs a lot of the curriculum development is like me as a, a career changer, mid-career, like figuring out how technology works and how to like actually get things done with it, getting freelance clients, applying successfully for jobs, all those things. So by the time that I got to this project, this was after several failed projects and just burning through my savings. Uh, my wife, uh, we had, benefits through her company, thankfully. And we were just living in the San Francisco Bay Area and I was going to all these tech events and stuff. And just, I created this chat room. I didn't think this was gonna work. I built the first version of Free Code Camp in like three days and launched it and started tweeting about it. And uh, just got, I got people in the chat room together and, and chat's very powerful, especially for like building like an immediate uh, bond with people just hanging out and volume uh, as opposed to like, you know, quantity as opposed to quality, which I think you get quality better on like forums and things like that. But in chat, it's really good for just quickly building rapport. And so I just had people, like I stayed in the chat room all day while I was building different functionality on the site and people would come in and like, oh, this is great. Like, is there a way I can get involved? Can I help? And so, yeah, like just having that chat room, having people come in there, I was able to convince people gradually like, yeah, we could use help. Like, Like everybody has opinions on how things should be done. And you don't necessarily want to listen to those opinions, but if they have, if they want to, like we have this term in agile project development spiking on things where they're basically taking low stakes risks, just trying to build something out and seeing what happens, you know, creating a proof of concept. So we got a bunch of people doing that. And uh, then, you know, people eventually like started improving the curriculum. <laughs> and so it was, it was people being frustrated that the curriculum was so mediocre because it was the product of just me. And uh, gradually, like incorporating their feedback, and 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 then it became much more robust. People started getting jobs. People were getting jobs because they were like, "Yeah, I designed this curriculum." You know, like people would, like they'd be in interviews and they'd be like, "Oh, you know, can you, you know, invert like a binary search tree or something like that?" And they'd be like, "Yeah, actually, here's like an entire article I wrote about how to do it." I'm like you're hired, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so that sort of thing, like like people getting jobs, and that that fed the uh, forward momentum of the volunteerism. Thank project. you for sharing that. I think the backstory is incredibly helpful because 
from the outside, it's easy to sort of paint a brush and be like, oh, obviously here's this like Rockstar coder and just whipped it up. And, you know, suddenly people were knocking down their door. And like, I think it's, um, it reminds me of starting kind of right at the beginning with the right culture. And as you said, you were not going after quantity. It was a, a quality of interaction and, and sort of creating it in public and saying, you know what, this may not be the best tutorial yeah. for this particular web dev, but you sort of then incite people to, to join you and help you. And um, I think for some organizations that, that can be tough. It has to be perfectly polished before it's pushed. So where's the room for volunteers to step in? Uh, one more question actually about the, the volunteers because this comes up a lot for us. How do you manage this many folks? Is there like an extra system and tool saying like, all right, this is the project, like, because it yeah. can be running, you know, hurting, hurting cats in a hurricane situation with, with some volunteers, especially if you're talking about like projects where they're touching your code or content. Yeah, so systems. Uh, and, and they're not just software systems. A lot of them are just Google Forms and, you know, Google Sheets and, and you know, the proverbial duct tape and uh, bubble gum that holds uh, most organizations together. I don't want you to think that we've got like state-of-the-art, you know, uh, CRMs for working with volunteers or anything. I'm sure some organizations do that. Uh, but there, there's a lot of, like, like I spend a huge amount of time responding to emails and interacting with volunteers like uh, uh, I've had hundreds, hundreds of meetings with tutorial authors where I've gotten to know them, and uh, a big part, like like a, I don't, I'm not like a particularly talented person in my opinion. Like, but one skill I have is like I'm really good at like memorizing names and memorizing facts and like recognizing people and remembering the moment that they told me about like their own journey into coding or um, you know, like remembering oh that person's from Calgary and they uh, worked as a roughneck for like 10 years before they learned to code. And like, now I, I can remember that. And when I talk to them, I've got that kind of like that lived experience that they shared with me to draw on. Uh, so it, it kind of informs how I interact with them and like the topics I bring up with them and stuff. So a lot of it is just the ability to like hold in your head hundreds of volunteers at a time or potentially thousands in a more kind of broad strokes way uh, and really make it your business. Like, like as a nonprofit founder, you know, for a startup founder, there are these three things that every startup founder is supposed to do, right? One is um, set the vision for the organization. Two is make sure you don't run out of money. And three is bring on the right people. And if you look at it that way with, with nonprofits, you know, they're basically the same three things. Uh, but uh, instead of like bring on the right people in the form of just uh, employees, nonprofits also have that additional dimension that like they do have the ability to encourage people to volunteer through, uh, you know, kind of like a mission driven uh, approach that like a for-profit corporation would have a harder time convincing people to do. I mean, some, some do, for example, Google has like Google tools user group, uh, which is, you know, volunteers contributing and, and helping run local events and things like that. And a lot of, uh, a lot of corporations have that kind of fanfare that they can that they can have volunteers do that. But with as a nonprofit, like you have such a big edge because you can like there's you've just immediately removed a lot of the skepticism and cynicism that people feel toward volunteering because you're clearly in this because you care about the mission. Otherwise, you wouldn't be a 501c3 nonprofit because there's all these additional compliance issues and it like like being a nonprofit is like being a startup on hard mode in many respects. <laughs> Yeah, I remember like 10 years ago trying to decide if I should make Whole Whale a nonprofit or a for-profit. And knowing what I know about nonprofits, I was like, why would I want to go into battle with one arm behind my back? And so, you know, there are advantages and it's awesome that you're able to leverage those. But I don't know. Do you ever have a second thoughts? No, because I, I really just don't think that, that uh, like, like, obviously... I don't have any equity, <laughs> so I'm just a you know a paid employee like like everybody else. Um, so you know, there there, what happens if something bad happens to me? Like, will my family have any recourse? My wife have to um, you know cover all the expenses, things like that, like pop into my mind. But that's really the only like downside. I think is not getting rich. Um, the upside is 
you get to work with the kind of people who don't care as much about getting rich and care a lot more about the mission of the organization. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't regret it at all. And I don't really think about like, oh, what if it was a startup or whatever? Like there's a due chance, like with all the different variables and stuff, it wouldn't have worked as a startup <laughs> or, or some something else would have happened. And like, we've, like an investor would have pulled us in a different direction uh, and we wouldn't be doing the same kind of work we're doing for the same kind of uh, people, which is to say, you know, people around the world who want to learn to code, many of whom are in the, you know, 50% of people who live off less than $5.50 a day. <laughs> Right, that, that even putting a credit card form up immediately, that they're unbanked, they can't get through that. You know, um, we're we're able to make these resources accessible to everybody, regardless of socioeconomic background, and increasingly, regardless of like physical like abilities, um, and also uh, internet connectivity, other considerations. So, you know, I, I wouldn't trade this for anything in the world, really. I, I'm I'm really glad in retrospect that that I've made the decisions I've made. As far as being a nonprofit, yeah, I mean that's a you know a perfect a perfect narrative uh, of doing it and enjoying what you're doing, and sometimes that lets you uh, go farther uh, than possibly possible in, in the other direction. The point I wanted to come back to coding is daunting. How do you deal with the where do I start question A, the where do I start problem, and B the sort of trough of sorrow, the chasm of uh, of the point where someone's like, I took a couple and then I dropped off. The, you know, it's it's a, more than a common critique. It's a proven issue with online learning, and I think a lot of nonprofits, when they're saying like, oh, sure, because we we try to encourage a lot of um, our clients and also a lot of folks that look at our content to coarseify their competency, to coarseify things that their stakeholders can do asynchronously, meaning like you create it once, you package it properly, and then let your audience run with it. We have seen tremendous, tremendous success coming from it. However, and (laughs) what about the where do I start and how do you deal with the drop-off that chasm? Yeah, that's a great question. So this is not like an easy question to answer. And if you look at like, uh, you know, MOOCs, Massive Open Online Courses, um, historically they've had very high attrition rates, but you have to consider they're free and people have literally no skin in the game. Like they invested a little bit of time, maybe gave gave out their email address and like a sign up form. Um, and uh, if they learned anything, I mean, that's that's gravy, right? Like that's, that's uh a net positive. So uh, the reality that I've come to accept is like accountability mechanisms do work. If if you get somebody involved in like say 100 days of code, which is the hashtag that a lot of people use, uh, they try to do 100 days of coding at least 30 minutes a day and tweeting about their progress and things like that. That works. I mean, it really does. Uh, I, I would say that if you're trying to learn to code and you get involved in that hashtag, you probably doubled your chances of making significant progress inside a year. One of the things to acknowledge though, is life gets in the way. People uh, do get like, we're human. We're not machines that can just grind away at something. Uh, some people have more motivation than others, Some both intrinsic or extrinsic. Um, certainly during the pandemic, that's increased the amount of uh, extrinsic motivation that people have because they're seeing that like, I don't wanna be in a job where you know, I'm essentially risking my life every day just to just to do what I need to do and provide for my family. Uh, so that was, you know, people have been redoubling their efforts, trying to, to gain new skills, seeing, I guess, the fragility of um, the system we have in place. And, and software development is a job that you can do remotely. You can do it asynchronously um, and you can do it from, you know, anywhere in the world. And uh, you can do it pretty piecemeal as well. Um, you know, you don't have to, you can have lots of freelance clients and stuff. So, so there's a lot of carrot there. Uh, there's a lot of cake at the end of the maze, right? But you also, um, because it's so complicated, <laughs> uh, it's not as hard, it's not the hardest thing in the world, but anybody who tells you that learning to code is easy is trying to sell you something. It's not easy at all. It's, it's quite demanding. But at the same time, anybody who's sufficiently motivated can learn it. It's just a matter of sitting down and, and learning it just like it was, you know, learning Microsoft Excel or learning, um, 
you know, how to drive and things like that. Those things are all daunting initially. Uh, the great thing about coding is, again, the resources are free and uh, you don't have to spend a, a penny. You can do it from anywhere. Um, you can do it at your own pace. There are interactive learning resources like Free Code Camp, and there are also tons of amazing books and, and video courses and stuff that the community is prepared. And software development in general has like this hacker ethic, as they call it. And a big part of that is the information wants to be free ethos and, and people are quick to help one another. They don't perceive each other as competitors. Oh, this person's jockeying for my job. Why should I help them? No, because the, the pie is expanding so quickly. Everybody's pushing things into the software layer. Um, and we're going to see just more and more software jobs. And, and to some extent, they're going to edge out like older jobs that couldn't easily be automated or they could more easily be automated away. Now, I'm not, I'm not in the camp that like, Automation is going to destroy everything in 20 years from now. Nobody's going to work. Uh, but but be, be wary of people who say that, but also be wary of people who say like software, you shouldn't even bother learning the code because they're going to automate it all. Like the thing to note about that is, and I hear people like very educated people say that sometimes. And yeah, let me I, jump in really like quickly because I had this note here that may have been in the back of someone's mind um, that may be a term they heard for the first time, no code or low code. What the heck? No code? What do I need to learn code yes. at all? I just buy, you yeah. know, step right by it. So can you unpack a no code real quick? It's, it's not the best name. <laughs> it's not the best name for like, a, I guess, a movement in software. I mean, obviously there's still code. All they've done is they've done most of the coding for you and created like a more usable tool for you. But like, if you go all the way back to like 1994, 1995, Microsoft had like Microsoft front page, I think is what it was called. And he's basically promising to do all the web development for you. And it, you know, 2021, you don't hear about that tool anymore because like the more you automate, like, yes, engineers use automation. I, I don't like go in and start writing bike code when I'm <laughs> writing a new program. Yeah, I was, right? was going to bring this up a little awkward. I'm you like don't have any many, many layers of abstraction. So above. I was really looking to. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's nothing wrong with Dreamweaver. There's nothing wrong with front page even. I think those those are tools. And it's it's kind of like like if you go into, a, if you're a lumberjack and you go into the woods and you're carrying like your trusty ax and you're trying to fell a whole bunch of trees and somebody comes up and they've got a chainsaw. Well, there's skill involved in wielding a chainsaw too, right? Um, so just like anything, like developers adopt new tools. And so no code is not, uh, you know, a direct substitute for a lot of other tools. It can simplify a lot of things. I think the people most equipped to make good use of no code and low code tools are developers. Uh, and I use them myself. If, I, if I'm in a hurry and I just want to build a quick prototype. So, um, you know, we're going to be producing a course on some low code tools in the next few months. Um, so, so yeah, it, just know that these tools are out there, but they're, they're not a panacea. Right, you're you're still going to need to know how databases work. You're going to still need to, uh, even if you don't make SQL queries, like I very rarely make SQL queries. I understand how to make a SQL query. It's kind of like going to going going to university. Like a lot of the things you're going to learn, you're not going to have to do that math. You're going to have calculators and stuff, but it's it's valuable to know how things are working under the hood. And sometimes maybe it's you can get better performance. the The main trade off with low code and no code tools is they're expensive. Uh, you're spending dramatically more money handing the bother of doing software development off to some company, and then they maintain these tools. Um, the more you're willing to do yourself, the, the more money you can save. And, and that's how an organization like Free Code Camp can serve half a million people a day. Uh, and then also, you know, have all these other artifacts and resources that are offline and stuff. While so many rabbit holes, I just want to run down them all. I'm, I'm in my. I have more questions than time would allow. I want to maybe bring up one more topic and actually layer context to it is that I actually am also a self-taught developer and coder from back in the day when I was hired at dosomething.org. Um, over seven years, I taught myself every single thing required to become the chief technology officer, which was many, many things that I broke, learned, fixed, and then repeated, and um, was grateful enough to end up with a really talented team. Uh, and, and I actually started Whole Whale because I saw the industry not leveraging the most powerful tool in you know, recent history, probably ever, 
or for potential impact. So I love what you are doing. Um, I think there's still a chasm for, for many organizations, many nonprofits. You yourself said um, you were a teacher and you're like, wait a minute, I feel like I can automate some pieces here. Going to the like, where do I start piece? What is your advice to nonprofits that are, you know, making their way with basic tech, talking about, you know, they've got their WordPress site and then they're, they're seemingly constantly getting stuck with maybe internal systems and, and database pieces. And they're like, ah, we need to keep hiring externally for a solution versus what could they potentially do with free code camp? Where could they direct people? Like how could they use this as a tool to, yeah. to get to the level that they need to be, could be, should be? Right. Well, I, I'm, my humble advice would be first, see who you have on your team. Like, uh, don't underestimate their ability to learn technology skills, even if they don't have a technical background. Again, I was like an English major um, working as a teacher. Um, and I had very little technical, I, I knew how to consume technology, like, you know, uh, using computers for consumption, but I didn't know how to produce technology uh, through programming. Um, a lot of people can learn these skills and uh, you don't necessarily have to dramatically increase your headcount. I think actually that's more like people are your most expensive resource and there are tons of little resources you can do to like augment your existing team, especially if they're already there, like they're already part of your culture, they already know one another, uh, you can grow really slowly and responsibly. Uh, one, th one thing I'd say is just just think about like the, the trade-off. I mean, if you, for example, if, you know, Google grants is like huge windfall to nonprofits. Uh, I tried to set it up myself at, uh, and it was extremely frustrating and opaque process. And, you know, Polwell has a course on it. <laughs> I think would probably do way better. Uh, you probably save way more than what it costs in terms of like, you know, people hours uh, to just do the course and then like share it with, with your team. Uh, and, and there are lots of other. This ad brought to you by Holwell University. Again, the <laughs> Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, but seriously, like, like, uh, I think I think people can, uh, you know, you don't want to be completely like nickel and diamond yourself, like trying to save on everything. But uh, the biggest expense you can take is like bringing on some developer who is, uh, you know, going to cost you maybe a hundred thousand dollars or more a year, and just like handing it over and saying, like, here, you figure it out. A big part of actually managing developers is understanding how the technology works yourself. And that's one of the biggest causes of the death of like startups in the Bay Area. And that's why, like, you know, if you try to apply to Y Combinator and you don't have a developer on your team, they're just, they're not going to accept you <laughs> uh, because it's hard to, software is hard and uh, you need to have uh, some basic grasp on how it works conceptually so you can effectively manage developers. So, you know, I would encourage people just to expand their own skills a little bit and become more comfortable like expand the uh, frontiers of their comfort zone as far as technology. And you probably don't need to hire a full-time developer. You can probably just take the people you have and teach them. And then later, at the very least, you'll know what you need and what is beyond your capabilities and you'll be able to hire smarter. Yeah, so sense. just to package again, look around the existing organization, allow people to step forward, step into it, encourage them, give them the space, and then point them toward courses. Obviously you're like, find a course that works for you. But by the way, ours are 100% free. Do they jump into, you know, data manipulation with Python or are they looking, would you recommend to say, actually, you should probably start with understanding your web stack. Right. So if they do, if, if you all use the FreeCodeCamp curriculum, it's in a linear progression that makes sense because we've talked with hundreds of people from industry and, and like thousands of developers have contributed to this curriculum. It's, it's probably the best single artifact in terms of like being a representative sequence of things that you should learn. Uh, it, it's extremely optimized. Now there are parts of it that, that we are continuing to improve and we want to make it more project oriented. Uh, there's, there's plenty of room for, uh, for development and improvement on the free cooking curriculum. I don't want to give you the impression that it, that you're, it, you're a fool if you can't understand it because it's, Everything's laid out for you. No, there are a lot of inductive leaps you're going to have to take. You're going to have to do Google searching and 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 uh, wrap your head around these things. It takes time, but uh, that's a great place to start. And then we have extracurricular topics on on most technologies. Like if, for example, you had like a huge amount of data and you need to figure out how to work with it, like 
you can learn how to use SQL, you can learn how to use Python and a lot of powerful Python libraries for free on FreeCodeCamp's uh, YouTube channel. And, on, and if you just Google things, just look for the FreeCodeCamp result and it won't be a bunch of ads that like load in and everything. It'll be like super fast, like everything's super optimized, very accessible. So yeah, like my biggest advice would be like when you do Google searches for different technical topics, try to find the free code camp one and click on that one. That that will probably be, it'll it'll be edited. It'll be written by a native English speaker usually or edited by a native English speaker. Anyway, uh, you get the picture. Like there are tons of resources out there. The main thing is do not let yourself be daunted. It's very easy to just throw up your hand and say, oh, we need to get a developer. If you don't let yourself be intimidated by technology, just like you, George, I mean, you, you learned over the course of seven years enough to become a CTO. That's phenomenal. And uh, I didn't even know that before this conversation, but I'd, I'd love to, if, if you have time, if you want to write about your coding journey, I think that'd be really inspiring for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, don't be daunted and uh, just trust that like you can learn this if you put in the time and energy and if you don't quit, if you keep coming back, take a break, come back, Every time the, the concepts are getting etched a little bit deeper into your brain, uh, your, your muscle memory, as far as like understanding intuitively how things work, gets a little stronger. Yeah, that's uh, good advice. And it's important to reiterate um, how simple the call to action is and how could you steal this for your nonprofit or borrow like an artist? Start here. There's a, literally a giant yellow button on this site. It's like, just click this, you goofball. Start here. And we're going to take you through what you probably need to know. And, and you've built it in a modular way so that when people are asking questions on the Google, when people are asking questions, you're showing up as the answer for that as well. So you're getting both the start here narrative journey and the opportunity to show up and answer questions when people are asking um, and uh, sort of side door into the building as, as well because you've opened it up. Uh, I think both ways are, are just it's perfect architecture for how you scale and get to where you're going um and you know you're talking about this this motivation in terms of getting people to do things we subscribe to the the bj fog behavior motability uh behavior is uh motivation ability and trigger and you're saying like you generally start with high motivation but how do we make the barrier lower the trigger easier and it's free so okay that's that's pretty darn good um but i think it's an all Important to know because you, you went through it quickly, but the accountability there of saying like, oh, here's a community, right? Here's another one. We have a group of people that I'm accountable to and I'm like checking in with like, how are you doing on your 100 days? You set this goal. Uh, so you have the community there, accountability, and this sort of prize at the end. The prize at the end, you're going to get this job. You're going to be able to save yourself from having to hire a developer, which may or may not work. You're going to skill up personally and make yourself more marketable in your own company, make your company better. And, you know, holding those prizes. So those are some elements to play with. If you're uh, an executive director sort of listening to this being like, all right, I'm going to just send this around. But if you want to increase the chance of success, think about how Quincy talked about those, those elements. All right. I think we're turning toward our rapid fire, unless there is anything you'd like to, to put a finer point on here. I'm getting a thumbs up. Okay. Okay. Please keep your responses to around 30 seconds. Quincy, what is one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the past year? Yeah, uh, Rocket Chat is awesome. Uh, it's a Brazilian company. Uh, if you use Slack, if you use like Microsoft uh, Teams, I think is what it's called, this is a self-hosted alternative to that. You just spin up a server and uh, your team can jump on there and chat and it's got most of the main features. And it's you own all the data. It's essentially free. The software is open source. You can pay for like a you know service level agreement and and hosting from them if you want. Uh, but it's been great. We we love it. What tech issues are you currently battling with? Right now, uh, Google is doing some. Uh, they're, they're kind of raising the bar as far as site performance. Free code camp is a coding environment. So it's got a lot of JavaScript. So there's a lot to like load into the browser when you go there. So we're just stripping things out and figuring out how we can kind of load things like a few hops in to the experience so that like those pages can still have really good lighthouse scores and can still rank well. What is coming in the next year that has you the most excited? The data science curriculum, which we're doing a fundraiser for currently. 
it's almost completely funded and we're going to create like 12 new certifications around um, math, computer science, and uh, machine learning. Talk about a mistake that you made earlier in your career that shapes the way you do things now. I think initially we were too dependent on platforms like Facebook groups. Uh, I personally was really dependent on like Medium and uh, we were getting a lot of readership on Medium and we had to at one point leave Medium. you can like just Google FreeCodeKit Medium <laughs> if you're curious of the story behind that. But basically like any growth that you get on other people's platforms, whether that's Discord or Slack or, uh, you know, Twitch or wherever you're you're trying to build it, just know that it's extremely difficult to move that audience. And, and a lot of the uh, engagement you're getting is probably just due to the nature of the platform itself. Just you've you built your castle on somebody else's land and know that, you know, if you have to move, it's just be prepared to move. Is what I'm saying. Do you believe that nonprofits can successfully go out of business? I think if you've got a team that's working <laughs> to the extent that you can like fulfill your entire mission, like that team should be repurposed. It's probably an incredible team. So I would say like, yeah, technically you could just disband and like go live in some mountain retreat or whatever. But I think that you should just figure out like a way to like slightly fine tune your mission to where you've still got plenty of things, plenty of good that you can do. If I were to toss you in the hot tub time machine back to the beginning of founding FreeCodeCamp, what advice would you give yourself? I would tell myself to focus less on platforms, like I said earlier, and, and to focus more on just building durable stuff that like we had full control over. Things that like, like mailing lists, um, blogs, things that you have full ownership of that nobody can really take away from you. Uh, those, those are the most durable things. And, and I think I could have focused more on those. What is something you think your organization should stop doing? We should probably stop worrying so much about what other organizations in the space think of us. Like I'm frequently jumping to the defense of like the university system and saying like, oh, you should get a university degree. Like it really is the proven path. And I feel like we're carrying a lot of water for these organizations that like really shouldn't need our help. And it's not like they're necessarily reciprocating some are, but uh, yeah, like to some extent, I, I feel like I'm always playing defense for these other organizations and they're, you know, hundreds, thousands of times larger than us. They can do that themselves. So that's one thing I'm personally working on is just, just being quiet and not trying to stick up for these giant or powerful organizations uh, just because like my instinct is, Oh, you know, they're doing their best, but are they, you know, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I might be undermining some of the uh, the criticism that might be warranted for these institutions. So, yeah, that's that's one thing I've, I'm trying to get better at. They gave you a Harry Potter style wand to wave across the social impact sector. What would it do? It would make it much easier for nonprofits to share information. This is one of the few good podcasts that I've found in the nonprofit space. There, there are some other good ones, but I feel like nonprofits just need to congregate more and share more expertise among one another. Like you look at like incubators and accelerators like Y Combinator and, um, uh, you know, Techstars and and like all these different ecosystems for for for-profit entities. Like it's just amazing the disconnect between like for-profit organizations and the amount of information being shared back and forth and nonprofits. (laughs) I mean, it feels like there's just so much latent potential there. How did you get started in the social impact sector? So I always uh, wanted to do a nonprofit that was in the technology education space or in the education space. And then as I have learned more about technology, specifically technology education. And FreeCodeCamp is the first 501c3 that I've been involved with uh, in terms of like leadership and stuff. What advice would you give college grads currently looking to enter the social impact sector? I would say that um, definitely if you have the resources to be able to pay off your student debt and, and take like a below wage, I mean, there's, there's definitely a movement to like, Oh, you know, nonprofits can pay. And, and there are some nonprofits that, that pay like comparable, like, like Mozilla, uh, for example. Um, and, and some nonprofits just have the, the money to be able to pay, you know, what their private sector equivalents are. But, but I think realistically, you probably are going to be taking a pay cut and that's okay. If you can figure out a way to make it work, it's worth it. Like doing the, doing the work, uh, carrying out the mission 
is with so much more being able to like think about the work you're doing then say like, oh yeah, I got a new car or I got this like significantly larger house in this more you know nicer neighborhood than I would have otherwise been able to. I, I feel like there's so much social pressure about around earnings and just tune that noise out and focus on what's important to you. What advice did your parents give you that you either followed or, or didn't? My parents wanted me to go to university and I did. And uh, in retrospect, like, that cascade of opportunity did help me quite a bit. Like uh, I was able to go get a, a graduate degree in China and spend you know years and years abroad, like learning about how the world works outside of this, uh, outside of the US. And um, so definitely I would say like their emphasis on, on going to school, even though I dropped out of high school and I wasn't gonna go to school, like, like I took the GED, I enrolled in a really cheap state school in Oklahoma City where I grew up. And, and that was definitely the right call. And I'm glad that they didn't just let me work at Taco Bell and like kind of encouraged me to keep expanding my horizons. What is your favorite question to ask people? I just ask people, what are your, what projects are you working on? Uh, because people may be like working some job they don't particularly like, or they may be um, busy, mostly taking care of like a, a sick relative or uh, other kids and stuff. But I think most people do have some sort of project in their minds that, that like, oh, when I get time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on this. And so what, what fires them up? You know, what, what really gets them excited in terms of building? That's, that's what I ask people. And that, I think that's the best way to understand what they're really all about beyond just looking at the, the basic facts of their lives. All right. Final hardball. How do people find you? How do people help you? Sure. Uh, we would welcome uh, volunteers. We would welcome uh support if you're able to donate to our nonprofit. Uh, if you just go to freecodecamp.org uh, and look around, <laughs> that's probably the best thing to do. Uh, if you Google like Free Code Camp, donate, Free Code Camp. If you want to hear about me personally, just Google Quincy Larson. Uh, there are not very many Quincy Larsons. I've got a pretty good distinct name. So yeah, you should be able to find out all that information. Uh, I'll thanks. definitely disclose that I'm pretty sure we are a monthly donor as well. I recommend it. Um, and I recommend pointing your organization toward learning at freecodecamp.org. Quincy, thank you so much for, for building this and the work that you're doing and will continue to do to support uh, people finding their journey in code. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for everything you're doing for nonprofits uh, through education and sharing these resources. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 